Nityam Karvahai Tejasvinavati Tamastumavi Vishavahai Om Shanti Shanti Today, you not like the norm, you're not taking the text, but we're going to be discussing the question on um, why do we need the spiritual opposed to the mundane, is that correct? So, I believe that came from you all, your consensus was that, so that's good. So, the first thing to consider in terms of the philosophy of Vedanta and not just the Vedanta but when you go across the board but as we happen to be in this classroom calling it Vedanta in actual fact it's eternal principles of living and they belong to everybody it doesn't matter where you come from what your background is who you are Eternal principles are the same for everybody, for all people who love truth, or who are after it. So, in Vedanta, as like them all, but we're just taking it to make it faster in pace, otherwise we'll be here discussing lots of different philosophies, bringing them together. We say that you are essentially divine, full. Your original nature is essentially divine, full, complete. The Sanskrit word we use is paripurna. It wants for nothing. Is everybody okay with that? Makes sense? But the thing is, our question, do we know that? Because right now, we have to, what we need to do in this classroom is examine it from exactly where we are. Because though the philosophy says we're divine, I'm not sure all of you can believe that. Or you might take it, but I'm not sure all of us really understand that. So we really have to assess what that is before we decide to take on board any pursuit of it or to get to know that if anything. And if you are at that stage where you are what we call self-realized, really, this isn't the classroom for you. You can just up and go. Because you don't need to be here, essentially. So we need to examine it from 
where we're at, what we do, what our pursuits are, what we're doing every day. And if we look at it, the human being, us, the individual, we thrive on two motivations. I know some of you have done the text by Govinda. Can anybody tell me what those two motivations are? Hey, I'm testing you from what you've done. Give us this, a clue. Sorry? Can you give us a clue? There's two things you get up every morning to do. Your two motivations. Every morning till morning till night, you're motivated by Acquisition and enjoyment, exactly. To acquire something, to enjoy it. Doesn't matter who you are, what stage you're at, we're all in that pursuit of some form or another. If you agree or disagree, it's okay. Don't take everything I say as face value. You're at liberty to question. That's your privilege. We're just here to assess and examine where we're at and what we can do. And we've got this question about, do we need the spiritual? Before we go ahead with that, we've got to find out where we are and what is that. So if we're, from morning till night, pursuing acquisition and enjoyment, we use all our senses. We've got our senses available to us to do that. Smell, sight, taste, touch. What else is there? Sound. We take in stimuli, we react to it and respond to it in accordance to how we feel. So depending on what our perceptions, what our emotions, what our thoughts are doing, we go according to that. So good mood, bad mood, feeling clever, not so clever, feeling rich, feeling poor, whatever it is, we respond in accordance. So that our desires create that traffic of life. Is everybody okay with that? Does it make sense? Yeah? Okay. So when we do that, we go into the world. We have an expectation when our desires run into the world that they will get fulfilled and satiated. We get that kick happiness out of it. Well, why would we do it? Yeah. Even if it's having a cup of coffee, a nice smell in the morning. You know, we, if the coffee doesn't smell good, would you have it? You expect it to be good. Even the sun shining, everything you do, you expect it to be just as you'd like it. Yes. So, as we go in, contact our object. What happens if we just take an example? You got a new gadget, say. I don't know what that is. <laughs> That's right. So I'll borrow your pen for the experiment. Sure. So what happens if I've just got a new one of these? 
But there's an issue here. What happens after a, um, a little while? Get bored. Get bored. And a little bit longer than that? Okay. You want a new one. You want a new one. So our desires seem to be endless. And what happens if anything you contact, which is something you've got to be aware of, it has a diminishing value. So it goes up, gives you a kick, it doesn't matter. You think, oh no, that doesn't happen. It happens in some things, yes. But the things that I really like, love, people, doesn't happen. But you try spending 24-7 with your nearest and dearest. <coughs> How does it feel? <coughs> Just give me a break, okay? <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm just out. I'll just do your shopping if you want me to. <laughs> You'll find different things to have a little bit of elbow room at any stage. You, you feel suffocating. But the thing about it is, so the value diminishes to zero of the things that we contact, so there's no pleasure any longer in there. But the thing about it is, we keep on with the same objects and beings. Not saying you should get rid of them or anything, but we keep on with them for no pleasure, no joy, no satiation of that desire. So that's what we should be examining. And why do we keep on with them if we're getting no pleasure? Some people don't, because the divorce rate's quite high. Some people make that rash decision. Hey, this is a zero pleasure here. Let's get out. And you can do it very fast if you want to, if you know how to. It's not divorce. It could be anything. But just saying, there are means and ways. But if you're going to stick in with it, with no pleasure, You're putting in a lot of effort in life as all your objects of desire diminish for no pleasure. So you're putting in tons of effort for no pleasure. Is that okay with everybody? Are you happy with that? Are you happy? Is everybody okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, with those here. <laughs> Can I say it's probably because it's because uh, we don't want to be selfish, and that's why we do it. Uh -huh. uh, we'll come back to that point later. Hold okay. it in your mind. I want to ask you a question on that. Okay, because we don't want to be selfish, so we stick with the displeasure. Ah, okay. If you're not happy. How's everybody else going to be? I'm just putting a counter thought to you. Let's have a thought about it. Good point, Beth. Because I appreciate that you have a value of obligation in what you're saying. But we will come back to that and discuss. But we've got to admit one thing. We do live in a beautiful world. 
I just one point before I move from here. No pleasure. So we stick in no pleasure because if we take that object or being away, there's far more displeasure. Has anybody heard this phenomenon before? Has you put this across before? An object. So no pleasure, but if you take it away, there's far greater displeasure, so you stick with the no pleasure, putting in a lot of effort for no pleasure. It sounds ridiculous when you think about it, but we really do that often. And we've got to examine. And we've also got to examine why we rush into the world with our desires. Because it's not so silly in some sense. You know, it's a beautiful place. It's been developed wonderfully. We have um, scientists who develop all sorts of things to, to make life comfortable for us. We can go to the moon, or soon we'll be going to the moon. People with, who are grand in technology have designed these gadgets for us. I can talk to somebody across the world within a couple of seconds if I want. And, and if any of you, I'm looking around at your ages, maybe you're around the age of myself, or some are younger, thank goodness. <laughs> you remember Star Trek? Anybody? Have you watched it or not? There was this fellow who used to go, beam me up, Scotty. And we used to think, as oldies, that this would never be possible. Well, now you can actually have virtual meetings with the person there. So this is how far in advance we've gone in the development of the world. And it's grand. Yeah, when we contact it, it seems no pleasure. It seems like we've got a buffet on the table. And we can't eat the buffet because we're getting indigestion. We've got to think about these questions. So the question is, do we enjoy our world right now? Do you enjoy your world? Or is it which one? It goes up and down, doesn't it, depending on how you feel or what's happening at, at that time. Yes, goes up and down. Okay, anybody in agree disagreement? Agreement? Okay, two, not feeling okay to say you enjoy the world a little bit. <laughs> you can, you know. <laughs> So it's like um, we get some sort of sporadic happiness throughout, I think. Yeah? We can't deny it totally. Because yeah. we fiercely chase it. It'd be a, a, a little bit suspect if we're fiercely, fiercely chasing the world from morning till night and we really can't enjoy any of it. Okay, it has diminishing value. That might be all right for you because you might be okay with getting the kick of the chase when it's giving you the pleasure and you might say to yourself 
I'm okay when it diminishes because I would just go on the next chase for the next kick. So what happens is we're on the next chase for the next kick, and this is what we call in this city, I don't know about anywhere else, anybody know the name for it when we're on a constant chase? Very common name we have. Rat race. Everybody familiar with that? So what we do is we chase our acquisitions for enjoyment. We get it. Diminishes. Before it diminishes, if we're smart, we've rushed on to the next one. If we're not smart, we suffer it. Then we pitch up to the next one. And we keep going. And can we keep going? And we pitch our present happiness on our future hopes constantly, which leads us to stress, worry, anxiety of not getting what we're not getting. Incidentally, if you do get what you want, for that moment in time, you enjoy it, and then there's a fear that you're going to lose it. And so you become possessive towards it. That's mine. We let it go. We do that with our kids. And I never used to believe it, but I've seen parents with their kids lately, how they're actually so pampered that the kids can't do anything. And it's such a sad state that the kids suffer. Not the parents. The parents don't on them. And the kids suffer. Because they either become unable to do things for themselves, or they just recoil against the parents. That sort of possessiveness the parents want. It's a fear of loss. That their acquisition isn't going to give them any more enjoyment. So this is when our thoughts go outward into the world. Something we need to examine. So there's something which you might have come across or you're about to come across in the Vedanta treatise, those who are studying. It says, all outward conflict is lack of, it actually uses the word, not conflict, warfare, is a lack of internal development. So, We understand we can get a kick, I think. Has anybody got any um, comment on this which you're not sure about? Because the argument at the moment <coughs> is that we can contact our world, we get a little bit of sporadic happiness a kick, but it diminishes and we keep putting in efforts for no pleasure. Has anybody got any disagreement? It's okay to disagree if you're not sure. I held your point. Anybody else? Is anybody totally happy with things? Okay, we all got to learn then, myself included. We're in class to learn. Yeah, it's it's, it's perfect um, environment in a sense. So there's a German chap, German philosopher, which you might have heard of, Arthur Schopenhauer. And he says, 
Does anybody know the quote? I'm wondering, because I, I'm sure Andy's put a lot forward to you. I can't remember it. <laughs> so we often use common language so that it's easier for us to understand the ideas. So it's easier for us to move forward faster. So it's difficult to find happiness in oneself, which we're all seeking in our acquisition and enjoyment. It's difficult to find happiness within oneself, but impossible to find it anywhere else. And the thing is, we don't want sporadic happiness. If we did, we'd be okay with the sorrow when it diminishes. But the smart cookies of us, we just, before it diminishes totally, we're on to the next. Because we can't bear, we can't bear it. Not having that pleasure, not having that happiness, not having that satiation of agitation, that fulfillment. We don't want the worry and the anxiety and the stress. We want something else. But everything we do in pursuit of the world seems to have that construct. If you're not sure, just just go away and examine it. Try it out with that construct. And if it falters, come back and please explain how we can do it differently if you feel it's not so. So it's difficult to find happiness within oneself, but impossible to find it anywhere else. So that gives us another perspective, rather than putting all our thoughts out in acquisition and enjoyment in the mundane world with the expectation that it will satiate us. This is the construct which kind of suggests, let's think again. Is everybody okay? So there's another place you can look, which I believe you all might be familiar if you've been doing class. Where else can you look? Your question was, in, in, yourself as the, the quote suggests. So you've got it yourself to look. And what do we mean by this word spiritual? So you've got a broad spectrum to different people. So we need to really define in this forum for you to go away and chew on and think about what we mean by spiritual. Because it's mundane. Why should we take up spiritual opposed to the mundane? So maybe mundane, yeah, gives us a kick, sporadic happiness, but it doesn't seem to satiate us. So perhaps we try this word spiritual. So what is spiritual? When you go within, as a starting point. Spiritual, just giving you some basics before we make it more complex, is when you annihilate your ego. We'll explain what this ego is too. When you 
default your selfishness. Is everybody okay with that? When you unravel your essential original nature, when you're on that path to unravel that. So what prevents you unraveling or knowing that you are essentially full, divine? You see, we why would why should we if we are divine, if we are full, if we're totally satisfied, why should we go out into the world of seeking objects and desires and beings to satiate us? Why should we do that? The unfortunate part is of this. It's it's a it, we can't answer all these questions in this one session, but just a suggestion. It's like we don't know something, so our thoughts have created an imaginary void within us. So it's like this. When you see the sun on a sunny day, you know the sun exists, yes? But when there's a cloud in front of the sun, you feel there's no sun any longer. So we perceive what is actually there. We don't imagine the sun any longer. We just perceive the cloud. Does that make sense? So we've created within ourselves, not knowing our true value, we've superimposed, not knowing something, we've misapprehended. We've seen something differently as though we're not that. So it's like a child who you're walking on a dark street and they see a rope and they misunderstand it as a snake. <laughs> snake, 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 snake. Don't, can't go there, can't go there. And you're thinking, what's the problem? You just put your nowadays, mobile light on, and say, oh my gosh, it's just a rope, come on, just look, just look. And it goes, oh, okay. Initially it's like, oh, and then it's, oh, but then it's still holding on, because the apprehension is still there, the misapprehension is still lingering. So we have created some other thought We've created a void within us, an imaginary void which needs filling. If you feel empty, you've got to fill it somehow. So if you don't have any food for the day, unless it's intentional, you're going to feel a bit hungry. So you have some food, and how do you feel when you have food? That's good. And if anybody asks, <coughs> would you like, excuse me, would you like some more food? Would you have more food? I can't say this. Normally when I'm talking to people and we 
bring this sort of example, I can say, um, you'll say, no, thank you, but we're all Indian here. <laughs> and you might be full and still have another meal. So I don't know what to say here. But let's just take it that we'll say, no, thank you. I'm full. I don't need any more. So we created an imaginary void. There's a pressure on us to fulfill ourselves, to get that completeness. We don't want temporary happiness. We want permanence, fulfillment. So we've got to look for this spiritual aspect. What is it about? We've got to investigate it, essentially. So we're in a state where it's like, you may have heard this example, it's like we're under pressure. And because we're under pressure, we dash out in the world. It's like we're a coiled spring at two feet. And the more you release the pressure, we want to get it back to its original nature of four feet. So the desires are rushing out trying to do that. But the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you go to your core. This is why we need spiritual. Annihilating your ego, your selfishness, gives you a perspective of not I and mine. When you have an ego, it gives you a perspective of all need to cater to me. I'm important. You need to do everything for me. You separate yourself from your world and expect your world to cater to you. But the problem is, the world is changing at a fast pace, and it can't live up to your expectations and wants and needs. So you get disappointed. So the worries and anxieties come in. Is everybody okay so far? Anybody, any questions? So the way to annihilate this ego of ours, which is a barrier, ego is like the desire for self-interest, the barrier between you and your truth, the desire. If you remove that barrier, you remove the cloud, you get the sun. You remove the barrier of desire, you get the truth. So spiritual path is doing the, the movement of doing that. So to remove your selfishness, anyone who like being selfish, by the way, Because I've heard people say it's good to be selfish, even just a little bit. Because if I give everything up, what will be left for me? I know people that are selfish. Many. <laughs> 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 and actually, they have that attitude. Greed is good attitude. They don't like to share it. Not even toothpaste. <laughs> 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 That's mine. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so when it's about I and my, you make yourself separate from everything. But that brings about your own stress and your own suffering. Because your desires can't be met. So it actually, when your desires are not met, you get into um, what we call a ladder of fall. So you get fearful, anxious. You desires, you may get angry if you don't get what you want. Arrogance and um, envy creep into it. You know, in some cases, I've got what they haven't got or I want what they have got, so I'll do anything to get it. Jealousy. All these things creep in when you don't get your way in terms of your ego and your self-interest. And your self-interest normally extends to you and your family, and a little bit more sometimes. It's normally perpetuated in those places. Because I often hear so often, well, I've got obligations to my family, that's how I'm unselfish. But all of those obligations are because they serve you. So they're not really unselfish, to be honest. So when you pitch up something which annihilates your ego, it's a little bit, to start with, unselfish. So what can I do for you? And if you truly understand the mechanism, you're never the loser. Because the more you put back and aware yourself that you are part of the scheme of things, the more things come and serve you and you're connected to them. So even if you put back just as an unselfish ideal, a goal you set for yourself, let me do something for another. It's a matter of time before that comes around. There's a cause and effect in the whole scheme of things which functions beautifully in that. But we fear that we're going to lose out somehow. So we don't do that often. And the same reason why we're chasing the world. But remember the construct of diminishing value, value, diminishing value and suffering and the sorrow. And remember when things are done that can be of service to you. Just a little bit unselfish. The things work in unison. On the whole. They might not work to your timing, but they will come. This is another topic in itself. But as you grow, Spiritually, we're using this word perhaps without totally explaining. You develop from unselfish values to selfless values, where you pitch up, not catering to your body, mind, and intellect, but catering to something beyond the remit of your worldly pursuits, something called the self. Atman, Brahman, Godhead. You can call it what you like. Truth. Something which is permanent. So as you keep positing that, 
you become more and more in tune with it. You become objective to what's going on in your world. So you're not so affected when there's a diminishing value. You have a comprehension that it will diminish. So you make correct amends. You're not dependent on it. You're objective to it. Does that make sense? Is everybody okay with me? Stop me if none of it makes sense. Because I'm making a lot of assumptions here that you're all picking it up. So when you pitch up, what is being spiritual? When you pitch your thoughts from one place of the mundane, be it on your body, mind or intellect, and you plant it and put it, a focus on the ultimate self. You pluck your thought from here and place it there. That's the ultimate selfless action. But you've got to grow into that. One can't keep that lofty goal without having some realistic goals. So remember, spiritual is when you go inwards. You're refining your perceptions, emotions, and thoughts by unselfish actions which emanate into your world. Unselfish actions constitute of being of service. You know, it's the attitude in your mind. You may not be able to do it physically, but mentally you are of service to your community, expand it, society, you expand your identification further, your country, your world, or creatures, your universe, the totality. When it comes to the stage of the totality, it becomes, translates, transforms into really getting to the self, getting to your truth. Because each one of us has that same enlivening principle within. <coughs> and that's actually something which is going to allow you the optimum happiness, pleasure. How so? Because it keeps you objective. When you're objective and grounded in yourself, grounded in that thought of something bigger. You see, it's like this. When you see children playing, when you see children playing um, maybe with, um, say, I don't know, chalk pieces, and they start arguing about it, you don't get into it because you've risen above that stage. When you see adults not playing, fighting, you also, if you're objected to it, you don't get into it, you say, oh, they're having some silly argument again. Because you've got a bigger picture, a bigger goal for yourself, you've aligned yourself with. So you don't get into the mundane value of getting involved in those activities. So when you can keep yourself a little bit away, objective, to your actions, perceptions, emotions, and thoughts of which you pursue your world in, that diminishing value doesn't come to zero. Because you're making the choices. You're not dependent on the world making the choice for you. Something inside of you is always on a bigger plane. So you actually fulfill yourself. 
But the issue is when you run into the world, it's like looking in a mirror and you're trying to clean the dirt from the mirror, but the dirt is actually here. So you've actually got to go here and clean it. So cleaning is what refining our perceptions, emotions, and thoughts, our desires, essentially. So as you pitch up a bigger desire, a bigger identification with your world, the lower gradually drops away. And when you, through an unselfish action, and when you can pitch up on the ultimate, it takes time. You don't expect yourself to do this overnight. You know, it takes a long time to get to grips with what you're about, what your personality is about, what sort of traits you are, whether you're a devotional person, whether you're a thinker, whether you're a more active person. You've got to assess these and pursue the spiritual paths, karma yoga, bhakti yoga, jnana yoga, to plow through your desires and refine them, to pitch up on that truth. But when you can ground yourself in that, Everything else seems to run smoothly in your world. So you don't get stressed. You actually get a grand picture of what's going on, perspective. And you actually enjoy it. And you actually understand that there's a quote by Shakespeare from a play called As You Like It. You don't need to watch the TV when you understand this quote. All the world is a stage. And men and women are mere players. We all have our exits and entrances. And it goes on. But if we just remember that, all the world's a stage. So being spiritual is to be that, what we call, sakshi witness. Play your role like an actor on a stage. Enjoy it. There's going to be highs, there's going to be lows. That's the nature of the world. It goes up and down. So spiritually is to go inwards. It, understand there is a high and a low in that, but you're not affected by it. You make a conscious decision. That's not to do with me. You play it, get out. Do your optimum, get out and go to the next to refine yourself. Because your thoughts are always grounded on the higher truths or a bigger goal. So you don't get affected by the pettiness of things going on. That's spiritual. So you actually s enable yourself to satiate your desires as you go like that. It might sound a little bit removed at the moment, but as you go on in this study, you get to grips with these sorts of ideas and they start to refine you. You start to refine yourself. You start to become more objective because of your bigger, loftier aspirations in life. You feel more grounded and satiated. So spiritual is actually allowing you to be stress-free comfortable, enjoy life. Whereas the mundane is like an advert, giving you a teaser, but it never actually gives it you. So we are putting immense effort into 
that which is the reflection and not which is the real thing. And we've got to examine that. So why the spiritual? That's why. You have a choice of satiating your desires within in relation to your world. There's no taboo. It doesn't mean that you should drop everything. It's not what you do. You're a, you can do anything in the spiritual path, but it's how you do it. Where are your thoughts in relation to when you contact your world? That's what will make the difference whether you're stressed or whether you're comfortable in enjoying it. And when you raise to greater heights, even a great loss to you, you'll understand it, you'll be okay about it. And you move to the next, because it's not a great loss. You understand that everything has a cause and effect. In the whole scheme of things, you understand things function. There's an, always an opposite, but you're not affected by it. You're stress-free, and actually you enjoy it. Yeah? Because you're not identifying with your body, mind, and intellect, which causes you that stress. At the moment, it's all body. At best, we talk about emotional intelligence. That's the new sort of fad word. Nobody's talking about intellect. And actually, a spiritual aspiration in truth, which takes a lot of effort, but just the same effort as you're putting into going into the mundane world. You're going to weigh it up. I don't know. I know which one I pick. It's up to you. That's it. Now you can ask away, and you're myself. <laughs> We're here to any clarification you have on that. I was thinking it's um, to get to that, starting to look within yourselves. I mean, obviously, someone at my age now, you've got all that baggage or programming and the way you've been brought up and that is trying to relinquish that and trying to, you know, you, you're, you've got a bit of a challenge because you're challenging your mind and challenging what you've been taught up until now and then trying to revert and look back in yourself and con well, not condition, but improve yourself by doing that. It's the path, of the, the path to get you to, to even start regularly looking at yourself. In, in so the first thing is to be aware of where you're at and appreciate it, and then start. You know the story of the hare and the tortoise who won the race. Just start. Don't worry about it. You, I think we're all in a privileged position in this room that we have an availability of this knowledge. So just start with it wherever. Don't worry about it. Your mind will play tricks. But yours is to start start getting a consistency of purpose. One of the first things you can do is say, what can I do for you? It helps, it helps calm your mind down. What can I do for you? Anybody need? So these, these are little, little practices. In karma yoga, we call it. An attitude of after you, for you. Identify something bigger. Your mind, no doubt, will say, but what about me? Acknowledge. My mind will say that. 
But that's my mind. It's like watching the TV. I want to, I want to switch the channel now. <laughs> I want it to be on intellect channel. So you have to, you know, so it's, you have to keep a, what's helpful is just keep to the degree you can a study and a reflection. Preferably what is spiritual time is called sattvic time in the early hours of the morning, which is kind of going to sound strange time to many of you. 4 a.m. to 6. Maybe it's not waking time for you. Maybe it's just bedtime, you know, different people. But if you cannot do that timing, just go to the nearest you can or whenever you can. Acknowledge your mind's going to play tricks with you. And your best bet, whoever you are, is to stop agreeing. I'm in a mess, but I'm going to do something about it. And if you really get that conviction within yourself, I'm going to do something about it. So something like having a weekly class starts you on that. And then you pick up your own study daily. There's lots of literature here. I, I, I mention here and Vedanta for, for a reason, because we're familiar with it. But if you look at the word philosophy, religion, in truth, they all mean the same. So religion, religarge, join back. Get back to your truth. Suggesting we're separate, so we get back. Philosophy, philo, and sophies, one who loves truth. So we want to get back to that truth. Vedanta, Veda, Atta, knowledge. Sanatana, Dharma. They all mean to get back. And I'm sure there's many, many more words in uh, the Christian faith or Islamic faith, wherever you go, it doesn't matter. You come back to it in the essence. The privilege uh, which we have here is laid down very easily, so we can look at it and take it in. That's all. You can get it anywhere else. But it's, it's laid down here. So pick up the information and be consistent with it. Your morning study is key, if you can, or whenever you can. The consistency of purpose is key. Because if you don't be consistent, it's like this. Somebody had given me this example long ago. It's like you want to boil water, and you put the water on the stove. But the thing is, it never gets to boiling point, because you take it off just before it's boiled. And then you put it back again. But you keep thinking, you take it off, put it back, take it off, put it. So there's never any consistency in that heat. So it never gets anywhere. So it's really key to have a consistency, a shraddha, we call it. Faith, consistency, purpose, to the very end. To whatever you can do, you start building on it. Don't kick yourself if it's not very much. It will grow. Actually, I was older than you when I started. Who gives you any confidence? Age isn't the defining factor. What you decide to do with yourself.
it's the effort you put in will be the defining Please feel free. I don't feel that you, you ought to gulp this down. It's something you need to question. This is the idea. Mm. Um, you covered a couple of things mm -hmm. um, in the sense to say it's the desires mm -hmm. that drive me. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also have this ego. And the two almost change on a minute-to-minute -minute basis. So like, I might be egoistic at one point, but not at another. I might be able to pass the showroom and somebody else's desire pops up. I have no desire for that and I'm fine, but I go to something else that I have a desire for and I'm constantly thinking about that. So when we're thinking about spirituality, the two almost stop me from or hinder my development to develop spiritually. Which one would it be that would enable me, because you're saying pitch up something higher, mm -hmm. right? Um, would they both reduce if I've pitched up something higher, or do I have to concentrate on one, and that will help my journey, or? So, a desire is that thought flow, yes? And the ego is the resistance in that thought flow going towards something higher. So, if you um, have a strong desire for something, and you've got a bigger desire in place, bigger idol or ideal, yes, there's going to be some friction. But you have to bring your mind back into place and pitch it up back in line with your goal. Um, Look at your question. I want to just clarify. So, is it that I should concentrate on reducing my desires mm -hmm. and focus on that, or should I focus on reducing my ego? Okay, they're, they're essentially um, synonymous. In, a, in fact, because the ego causes the resistance, which causes a stronger thought flow. Um, so the ego is your mind. Um, so if you've pitched up a bigger value, you have to use whatever available intellect to bring your mind back from that and put it back on them. And that will reduce slowly your ego and your desires for that particular object. But trying to just reduce your desire, an object, by perhaps refraining from doing something, is that, is that what you mean? 
won't work unless you've got something higher to pitch up on. Because you can't force anything. It's got to, you can take yourself away and momentarily you don't pursue that desire. But if there's no knowledge or understanding backing why you should not go into a particular risky desire, say, which will encourage you to do something you don't want to. You've got to have a bigger, or an understanding and an ideal or goal which takes you off that. Otherwise, it would, as soon as you let go of that um, restraint, you'll go back into it, full, full swing, because you're physically restraining but you're not mentally restraining. You're not mentally understanding why you want that. So you're fueling the desire more to get it. You know, saying, somebody says to you, I can't have something. Somebody says, I can't. You can't have that cake. You're waiting for them to go out of the room to take the cake. Because simply, the, you can't be forced to do anything. But when you understand that I'm going to suffer for having that cake in my health because I can't take the sugar, say. In that sense, you have an understanding of a bigger perspective to move yourself off it. Now, if your intellect is not strong enough to keep yourself off that goal, you'll still go for the cake, even though it's going to damage you. And you'll have to suffer it. So it takes time to gain that knowledge, understanding, to keep yourself off the negative. But with constant feeding of knowledge, slowly, slowly, it makes you knowledge, questioning, reasoning. Don't take anything for granted. This is what you've got to do to build this intellect. You pitch up bigger values, which allow you to keep off the things which you don't need to go near, which Enhance, enhance is probably another right word. Perpetuate your ego and desire. But with a bigger value, that slowly, if you don't entertain that thought with a bigger value, your focus is there, slowly, slowly the desire will wane. You know, it will go from you. But you've got to keep that stamina, that intellect, on that bigger focus a bigger goal. And that bigger goal, you keep on pitching up little bit by little bit, higher and higher. So you keep dropping the values which are of no longer any interest to you. So then they become, it's like saying, actually, you know, I want to be healthy. Um, I need to go to the gym. I need to eat properly. So you make a goal when you're going to go. And you don't have to say, have I, have I become healthy now? You just keep putting in the effort consistently with that bigger purpose in mind. And then anybody who will offer you something to rubbish your goal, you say, no, thank you, because you've got strength and stamina to do it. Because you've been feeding yourself the information mentally, consistently, focus, some bigger value. And you don't even... It'll come a point where you see that and it looks like poison. But until then, you're a little bit vulnerable. Keep yourself away from those such things. 
put yourself a bigger value. Keep your study or your knowledge growing in you. It strengthens you. Keep yourself with something you know, bigger in mind. So it will reduce your ego and desire. Vegans choose to be unvegan. Mm. Then, whenever you see something that's not vegan, you may be attracted to it. But the higher thought is all those animals suffering. So, if you're more you identify with those animals, the less chances that you will succumb to that desire. And the total identification, you won't even enter your thought that you could do such a thing. See, there's the, when you've got total identification with your world or your universe, your creature, your beings, you feel another can never do you any harm. So you can't do any harm. So you fall in sync with the whole scheme of things. Beauty and grandeur of human being to do that. But the human being falls totally out of sync. We're supposed to be able to harness the world. And really, what we're doing is destroying it. So there's a stage where you see you don't you you know it's not a good idea. Then you see it's not a good idea. But then there's a stage where you don't even think is it a good idea. You just don't, because it's just very much you don't even you can't even conceive it anymore. How can I eat my brother or sister? As George Bernard Shaw says about being vegan vegetarian, I guess, I don't know what it was at that time. He says, I don't eat my friends. There's many of them. But you see, that's to a person who feels that way. And that's to one who spiritually evolves, sees it that way. But there's no rights and wrongs in this. There's no shoulds and shouldn'ts. I'm not going to get whipped if you do it one way or another. Because to another person, they don't see it that way. That's just where they're at at that time. It's not a right or wrong. So you, you can't say in that way. But when you perceive it that way, there's a verse in the Bhagavad Gita in chapter 7, I think it's very end, I think it's 30, it's 20, 27. The wise, the ignorant follow gods. The wise follows God, singular plural. God's meaning all the things in the world. So when, there's nothing right or wrong about it. It's just when you don't know, you will follow one set of things. When you know, you'll follow another. It's as simple as that. You make those choices. So when you want to get your desires satiated, you've got the world, or you've got within you that truth. There's always a choice. Nobody's ramming it down your throat to say you shouldn't, you shouldn't. And those who are doing it are not right to do it in actual fact. But you've got to be intelligent enough to assess it with your intellect. Actually, why would I want to harm such a creature? I wouldn't have child cutlets. Why would I have lamb cutlets? This is a, you've got to give yourself some reasoning to think about it. And if you can say, well, I wouldn't have child cutlets, but I would have it, and you're okay with it, fine. 
That's your prerogative. All the cause and effects come with it, either way. Doing or not doing, it doesn't matter. So being spiritual or not spiritual, there's a cause and effect to both sides of it. You have to make those choices. Each one of us makes those choices. So why should we? Nobody's saying you should. But you at least should examine it. Either way. You know? desires and I just wanted to take the path of enlightenment try to get there but in order to do that I'd have to give up everything family members like Buddha did for example would that be classed as selfish first of all the probability of you doing that is pretty slim for most of us if you be realistic about it but if you were to do that um, you see, you can't really actually give up anything. And you're not being asked to give up anything. That's number one. Be very clear in the spiritual path. If you're really, truly pursuing it, people say you've got to give up this, that, they'll go off to some forest. Well, it's like you go to school, to be honest. You've got to go to school to educate yourself. But once you've educated yourself, it's not where you are, what you do, it's, it's your mental state. So once you've developed yourself selflessly, that perception, you're in overspill. You'll only be of service to people. So if you were to leave your family to take up some bigger value, no doubt your family would benefit from that when you've got that, because you wouldn't leave them to rot unless they're in their own cause and effects of rot your perspective. So self-development means when you develop yourself, everybody gets a bit of that back. That's the idea. There's nothing, yeah, there's nothing the selfish idea. in it. Be, yeah. There's nothing selfish in it. But no self-development, keeping yourself in stress, strain, and worry, everybody gets that back too. So if one doesn't put in the effort to grow oneself and selfishly, selflessly. That's what the society we live in. The society we're living in is self-centered, egocentric, full of desires. So as a result, we have, at the macrocosmic level, terrorism, vandalism, and wars. At the microcosmic level, we have worry, anxiety, mental illness, stress, depression, addiction. Because this interest is on eye. It's a very sad it's nobody's fault. There's no education to get people out of it. 
and where it is, it, 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 it's, you know, you need a lot when you spiral down. You need a lot to get somebody to start thinking with their intellect. But it's feasible, because we're all essentially divine. We're all essentially wanting to say, and an addict wants to satiate themselves so they're happy. Yeah. We have wars because we want to be happy, but it's self-interest. But there's no education to show that it's the other way around. It's not going to get you what you want. So in that sense, we stick with what we know. But this knowledge is from time immemorial. It's not new knowledge. It's always been there. So if you're asking, if I develop myself, what will happen to my family? I think it's not a bad idea. But you assess it, because it's not selfish. To truly develop yourself is to develop your selflessness. If you develop selflessness, your attitude is always, how can I be of service to my world, my universe, in your actions, in your mind, you're focused, so you optimize this worry and anxieties, zero, you're objective, so you can always act, think clearly, you're full. We always um, see people in admiration we think they've got something that we don't have. When you see somebody who's full, when you're full, and they're offering out, you become the taker. But reverse it and become the giver. That's selfless action. That's what it's about. It fills you, no end. You're grounded, you know, with the stress. Everybody's the benefactor around you. And it's a, it's a pleasure. You live life with enthusiasm and with fun. Spiritual development isn't about giving everything up. You want something, have it in your desires. You're just not, um, you're just not governed by it. That's spiritual. Have what you like. You're not governed by it. And as you grow, you'll make intelligent, intelligent decisions of what you need and you don't need. You're never giving up anything. You're never giving up anything. Strike it out. I have to give up to be spiritual. There's nothing like that. Just be aware that being indulgent spoils it for you. You just get the diminishing value quicker. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.